they're finally figuring that out when it was sort of like kind of obvious, right? Because that's, you know, people don't go on vacation into their offices. They go to the beach. They go to the mountains. What's interesting is they've now quantified it physiologically. You feel better. You have lower cortisol. And trust me, that's exactly how I've always felt when I can get, just get outside. What is biophilic design? And what are the scientifically proven benefits of being close to nature? Given that we're increasingly urbanizing, what can we do to ensure that future plans for urbanization prioritize green spaces, living walls, and rooftop gardens? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. I wanted to take a moment to first thank our sponsor for this episode, which is Buffy, that's spelled B-U-F-F-Y. Buffy makes comforters that are better for you and for our earth, using fluffy filled made from 100% BPA-free recycled water bottles and a skin-friendly eucalyptus fabric as the cover, called Lyocell, which you may know is one of my personal favorite and one of our currently most eco-friendly cellulosic textile choices. I'll tell you more later with an exclusive discount code just for you, but for now, on to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the founder of Sage Green Life, dedicated to transforming built environments, including the offices in which a lot of us spend 40 plus hours a week, into happier, more sustainable spaces. The award-winning living wall company has installed custom walls all across the country with an incredibly diverse portfolio of projects ranging from Mars Food North America headquarters to Luxottica. The thing is, living walls and biophilic design are not only obviously just stunning to look at, first of all, and have around, there are actual scientifically proven reasons why greening our urban spaces is in the best interest for companies in terms of attracting talent and retaining current team members, and also in the best interest for communities in terms of how they're beneficial to the residents' collective mental and physical health. Green Dreamer, starting with what inspired his passion for the environment, Here's Richard Kincaid. You know, I think uh, one of the first times I grew up in a little town in Kansas where it was not exactly nature filled. It was all wheat fields, basically. Um, But I remember my parents, one of six kids, and we went on a trip to uh, Glacier National Park. And it was like the first time I'd really been, you know, in some place so stunningly beautiful. I actually now have a house outside of Glacier National Park. That's ironic. But um, I was probably nine years old. For me, being outside in nature, um, I just instantly kind of relax. And I think what's interesting about all of the biophilic design is that they're finally they're finally figuring that out when it was sort of like kind of obvious, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, you know, people don't go on vacation into their offices. They go <laughs> to the beach. They go to the mountains. They go, you know, and that was – What's interesting is they've now quantified it physiologically. You feel better. You have lower cortisol. And trust me, that's exactly how I've always felt when I can get just get outside. For sure. So. I feel like it's quite intuitive to most people, but I guess sometimes you just need research to prove this. <laughs> yeah, well, what's funny about it is it's 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 
clearly intuitive because people always gravitate toward it. And then also you think about it, I'm a real estate guy. People have been paying for views for, you know, a thousand years, right? Why do they pay for views? They pay because it makes them feel better. The, the irony is that someone thought it was a good idea to put people in windowless space with fluorescent lighting and cubes. That's what's interesting. Mm. Where did that come from? Yeah, <laughs> No idea. So I'd love to hear, what did your professional journey look like that led you to the world of living walls and starting Sage Green Life? It's quite uh, indirect and circuitous, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I spent uh, all my time uh, in real estate and certainly most of my senior level positions were running a very large office company, either as chief financial officer, chief operating officer or chief executive officer. And so obvious at that job, you had to be really understand what your tenants were facing and how they were using space. So one of the things that struck me early on was that the early technology companies were starting to figure out pretty quickly that the marginal cost of having really great space and really a great environment was just extraordinarily in their interest because they got so much more productivity. At the same time, you were also seeing this other part of the world that still looked at it as we need to cram people into smaller and smaller spaces. So one one thing that we did that really left an impression on me is we built the corporate headquarters for electronic arts. And I remember going out was in Los Angeles and visiting the campus and just it was just such an extraordinarily it's just a really cool building and they had all these breakout rooms where people could play games and they had food and soccer fields and I remember talking to them going, "Wow, this is just like how did you guys decide on this one because the rest of the world that time was still going, we need to cram you into 90 feet. <laughs> and they were doing hoteling and no pictures. And and it actually struck me that that those businesses that started to have extraordinary innovation and productivity were way ahead of the curve. And I kind of always believed that that would intersect. And so when I was looking at, after we sold the company, I was looking at, I got involved in a number of businesses and when this opportunity came up with someone, we were looking at Europe, and Europe was probably 15 to 20 minutes ahead, and uh, 20 years ahead in uh, sustainability. When sustainability reports started in the United States with big companies, quite honestly, they were filled with nothing. I referred to it as greenwashing. Mm. But my view was that it would change over here, and it would intersect with certainly people wanting better work environments. Now, what has happened subsequent is that it's actually happened even faster where authentic sustainability, uh, this war for talent because of a demographic shortfall, and then the whole wellness movement has come together where you've got just very significant investments going into green infrastructure, green elements, and, and real sustainability. And so that was kind of the view back then. It took longer uh, than, than I thought here in the United States, but it's really, really accelerated to me starting in about 2014, 15. What did you learn from the real estate world that you feel like can help us uh, accelerate our work in sustainability? Well, I think the one thing that I've learned from all the work we've done with Sage Green Life and some of the things we've studied is that you don't have to be in this sterile concrete canyons, either inside or outside. 
there are so many ways that you can bring nature into your spaces now, which is really what our whole strategy has been. How do we how do we take something that people love, plants and flowers, and make it easier to put in places with ease of use, longevity, and just no hassle? And and what's great about this whole movement now is you really can do that. You can do them on vertical walls that are attached or unattached. You can do green roofs. And so there's no reason you can go into homes, you can go into apartments. There's no reason why we have to be uh, in these concrete jum- jungles. And I think actually with climate change, I think that's only going to grow because of the of the concrete creating such heat islands not to mention the pollution and things like that. So I just think there's a lot of reasons why you can have these everywhere and, I, and it's starting to happen. So for you, when you started Sage Green Life, can you take us back to one of the most challenging moments for you as you were building this up as a company? Yeah, I think when we first started, well, the first thing we did is we got this license for what was a really innovative system that was designed to address some of the problems with the early systems. Kind of like any new technology, some of the early systems were pretty for a while, but they ended up failing and they end up costing a lot to maintain. And so one of the hardest things was to get people to trust and try this newer technology that was hydroponic, soilless, um, in a tile with the promise that, hey, this is going to work a lot better than those other systems. And there was a long period of time where that was difficult. Now, part of that was Nobody was doing living walls at that time. Part of it was coming out of the Great Recession. And then part of it was that there was still this focus on, well, I'm going to do that. Where's my ROI? Now, what I would say has changed and changed dramatically now is that it's it's not only accepted, you're getting it out of this. People know that there's a positive impact on the environment just and on their people and their customers. So the evolution now has really moved away from trying to get a few installations up so you could prove it would work Mm. and you could see how people would react to it. I think that early on was really difficult because it's like anything when people are always like, come back to me when you have a bunch of installations. And I'm like, but if I never get anyone to try (laughs) one of these, I'm never going to have installations. The chicken and the egg issue. It was so brutal because – Partially because the industry somewhat had a deservedly bad reputation for having things that didn't work. Mm. So that was that was really challenging. So what did you learn in terms of what you needed to get over that first hump? Well, the biggest thing we learned is that we needed a lot more. We needed a lot more data and we needed to basically get some installations up. So in some cases, we just we put them up or we gave them away for free which is difficult when you're a small company, but we had to show that it really worked. These were beautiful. They required very little maintenance. They were used 75% less water than the other systems. They absorbed sound. And when we started that, then you could start to see people looking at them, loving them and the reaction. And, you know, we started in a couple of restaurants where we put them in there. And now they're like, you can never take that out. They put them in all their... (laughs) Restaurants, And so I think the beauty of it, though, too, is there is a network effect with these. The more we get out, the more people want them. And so it's really helped us, you know, build the business as as we started with that. But the biggest thing we had to do was get some things out, get more data that would show, you know, what actual maintenance costs and things were. And then just keep trying, right? Keep getting in front of people and find some early adopters 
And that's really what it took. And then the other part we had to work on, which is what everybody has to work on. I mean, this was sort of like creating an industry along with a business because there was no price transparency when we started. So then you got to figure out, okay, I've got this great system, but how much do I charge for it? There was just a lot of trial and error where we had to go back and start again. And that process, though, just helped us learn a lot more about just how the system would work, where it would work in different lighting conditions, outside, inside, different botanic zones. We had to become good at all aspects of it so that even if we weren't doing the lighting, we had to make sure the lighting was right or the wall would suffer. So that was another thing we picked up, which was we've got to own the whole process, whether we're doing it or not, so we can make sure that the customer's happy. So today, what is the process of designing living walls that you know will thrive in the environments that you're building them for? Because I'm assuming different cities, different maybe elevation, different lighting, like you mentioned, might influence how you design them or how does that work? Yeah, it's actually quite a uh, quite a process. And we have a couple of uh, horticulturalists on our staff, several. The first thing is, you know, if you're going outside, then you have plants that will live in that botanic zone. So in Chicago here, we actually have the biggest wall in North America that actually will live through the winter. But that's you got to know what plants to plant that will do that. The second thing you have to understand is wherever that wall is located, again, outside or inside, is it getting enough natural light? And you have to adjust your planting for that. Now, on the inside, it's a lot easier because you can supplement the light with LED plant lights and you can grow a lot more. And then there's also certain things that just do really well in this hydroponic system. So part of what we do with the clients is we we help guide them through a process of what will work best for where they're trying to put this. Some will come out and say, I want to use indigenous plants for whatever part of the world I'm in. And to the extent that we can, we will do that based on all those other factors. But what we really try to do is guide them so they're going to be happy with the experience based on everything we've learned over the years. And just out of curiosity, how does maintenance look like? Do people have to water them? Is it done automatically? Do they need to add fertilizers? Yeah, all of ours are done automatically. So all of ours will run on the irrigation will run on a timer. For our custom walls, the water is hooked up to it. And it's sort of an irrigation control, kind of like your lawn. It'll go on at certain times of the day. And then the plant maintenance part, people come in and they trim away some of the dead leaves to the extent there's any plants that look like they're they're going to fail. You replace them. Um, and then you'll also put a little bit of organic fertilizer in. But the beauty of our systems, our system will lose around 5% of the plants. A lot of the other systems will lose 30 to 40% a year. So part of what we pride ourselves on is that if, if you just water it and take care of it, you're really going to have very little plant loss. We also have a whole line of products where there is a tank built in so it doesn't have to have water connected to it or drainage. Hmm. And that's opens up a whole part of the market where you may not be able to have a permanent fixture. And then all you have to do with the maintenance is literally fill the tank, add a little organic fertilizer, do a little bit of the trimming and... Um, you know, like the whole idea behind what Sage Green Life is trying to do is you don't have to be a botanist or a horticultural expert to enjoy these. They should work really, really well with just a little bit of maintenance. Right. So you're really addressing a lot of people's maybe initial hesitations for getting living walls in their spaces. For sure. I mean, I I'm definitely don't have a green thumb. I managed to kill <laughs> things that are impossible to kill. But 
these products are products even I could have them, right? It's just like you pretty much for our Verdanta collection, once it's put in, you plug it in and then you don't really have to touch it. Somebody comes twice a month, they change the water. That's it. So we're trying to make it very, very accessible, easy, low cost of maintenance over time, very water efficient and energy efficient because we're even doing LED plant lights. That, by the way, was a real innovation that really made it possible to do an awful lot in places that you used to not be able to do because these lights are so efficient and they're not hot like the old uh, plant lights. Mm -hmm. So that was a real innovation too, getting those so you could put them anywhere. We could we could put these things in a really dark part of a building and they do fine because of the LED plant lights. That's amazing. Well, personally, I and I feel like a lot of people I know feel a sense of awe when we're just close to living walls. It's kind of like what you mentioned, just being feeling naturally better when we're close to nature. And that definitely supports the idea of biophilia, which is the concept that humans innately need and want to be close to nature for our well-being. And I'm sure you know a lot more about this than I do. What are some benefits we know in terms of how greenery in urban landscapes affect our individual well-being? There have been a lot of studies that showed that, number one, cortisol, stress hormones go down. There have been a number of studies that show that productivity ability to focus goes up. There's also just a broad sense of, of well-being. One interesting study, and I think Google did it, was just if, if you're just proximate and can look to nature, your ability to focus, you know, really goes up. And so, um, like I said to you before, with this, this biophilic design, a lot of this data has come out and it's sort of, once you think about it, it's sort of reinforcing what you already know, which is mm -hmm. the reason you come back from a beach vacation or in the mountains and you feel great is because it really was renewing and refreshing. And, and it's the same sort of thing that you can do with your environments. If there's one message I have, it's that, and think about a living wall too. You're putting hundreds, if not thousands of plants in a place that's otherwise not occupying anything. You're probably replacing something. You could be replacing something that's expensive like wood or marble. But the impact of having the, these beautiful designs, it's not controversial. No one's going to go, oh, my God, there's so many plants and flowers. In here. What are you <laughs> doing? Unlike, you know, art or other things where they may be controversial. So and I just think that there's just such a positive reaction to it that I think, um, you know, I'm really proud of the mix of products that we have so people at different price points can enjoy that it's not like everybody has to come out and put a hundred thousand dollar three thousand or three-story wall in you can have a small one you can have but it, it's still a lot of plants each one of our little tiles has 20 plants so even our smallest one will end up having 60 70 80 plants the other point that um i was stunned before i got into this business was that the Air quality inside is 12 times worse than outside. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of things that are emitting, you know, volatile organic compounds that are getting emitted, whether it's carpet or plastic. And it's another fact that these walls take volatile organic compounds out of the air, they freshen the air, and they basically increase natural humidity. So in a place where in the winter where it's really cold, it all does that. The other thing our system does, too, is it really absorbs sound. So 
open floor plans, restaurants, the flat hard surfaces. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that these products can do. They generate leads credits, wellness credits. You know, it solves a lot of potential problems, and it does it in a way that is uh, beautiful and and non controversial. So like you mentioned, I feel like individually, it's quite intuitive to us that nature makes us feel better. Do you think having these research and hard data and proof that it does support productivity and our well-being, does this like encourage more businesses to invest in living walls for their offices as well? Yeah, I think it does. I think it's going away from, you know, even when we started where you had somebody going, can you prove my ROI, <laughs> right, um, to... They, they kind of already know that it works and it does have all the impacts. But I think the data is extremely helpful of building the case for biophilic design on the inside. I think the other thing that's changed that it's it's kind of known, but it's also a very profound change. So if you think about a lot of the people that are managing businesses right now, that's the first time in their career where there's been a demographic labor shortfall. So almost everybody, certainly including myself, came into business where there was almost always abundant labor. And so what I see from my public company experience and my other companies is whether they like it or not, they're having to adjust to the fact that attracting and retaining talent is going to be one of the premier challenges for virtually every business over the next 10 or 20 years. And so... If you think about it that way, where also data has suggested it improves retention, it improves ability to attract and retain workers. If you think about it in that light and all the other benefits I talked about, it's kind of a no-brainer to start building this stuff in. The millennials are already a third of the workforce, and there's a lot of research that just says they're just not going to work in a bad environment. They're just not. (laughs) Right. And good for them. I have three millennial kids. So, I mean, it's like, I guess one's Gen Z. But so I think that the there's a lot of things coming together at once that are very positive. And I think um, once these continue to get get out into the world, then I think a lot of people are going to go, no, I don't. We don't. Why, why do we have to have space that is completely without any sort of nature? Why do we have to have that? Mm. And I think once you have it, I don't think you go back. And the other thing I'm seeing, which is interesting, is that more and more cities are starting to require it. And I think that is very important, right? Because if someone's coming in for new development, there's no reason you have to see a blank concrete parking wall somewhere. You can start to to mandate as part of your zoning that they have some of these things and it's going to do exactly what it's done all over the world, which is it's going to it's going to be uh, less of a heat trap. It's going to reduce pollution. It's going to be more beautiful. And you can start to do those things in cities and really change that urban landscape. And I think that's the interesting thing that we're starting to see, whether it's full blown zoning or just a requirement that people submit. We're seeing more and more projects that have gotten approved with with a green wall attached. So you kind of touched on this already, but going beyond businesses, what are like a city's incentives for requiring more greenery or like designing more urban green spaces as well? What are the benefits to on a city level? Well, I think on a city level, part of what part of what it does, it just makes your city more enjoyable, more livable. And certainly it starts to address pollution 
heat traps, you know, ozone days that people have in the summer. And it just starts to when you can't in a certain city create more open space because of the density, you can use vertically to create green space in smaller areas that have some of the same effects. So as a tool to introduce greenery into dense settings, because there's two things urban planners are trying to struggle with. They're wanting to have more density so people more efficiently efficiently utilize mass transit and uh, not keep gobbling up land and commute from a long way. But the problem with that is it means there's less open space. So if you're trying to do both things, have more density, uh, which leaves less parks, then you can do these to create these urban pockets on previously unutilized space. So uh, walls or roofs. It's a tool for cities to improve the livability of their cities and address some of the other issues in the environment, including just heat traps and uh, air pollution. Right. So with the issue of urban sprawl, like spreading outwards, uh, how we can address this is to have our greenery go upwards and vertically. Correct. Now, you think about it, you can't go into a city because now I'm a I'm looking at Oahu, and that'd be a good green. I mean, you could go about everywhere and see all these opportunities to create green spaces in mm-hmm. urban areas, and, and and it's not you're not taking up land, you're you're taking up space that's otherwise not there, and you can do some extraordinarily beautiful things and change the streetscape without knocking things over and still getting the density, so you don't have as much sprawl and you don't have as much. Um, hopefully just continue to need to build highways ever farther out into the prairie. I have this vision of like a super urban concrete jungle, like maybe New York or Chicago, just being completely transformed, covered in living walls and even urban rooftop gardens on the rooftop for more local produce, just greenery over concrete wherever possible, because we do not know that greenery is good for people. It's good for companies. It's good for a city, for our planet. So with all of these benefits in mind, what do you think is our current greatest challenge to having our urban spaces become greener faster? Well, I think part of it is that you know, people react to incentives. And I think unless you have this as part of your plan and you're thinking about it when developments are getting proposed, I think it's going to be very hard to ever get that done because you can't go back to an existing owner and make them do anything. So it starts with a long-term plan about saying, look, we're going to have new developments. We're going to want to create this type of green space also, though, if you're a developer, I'm a real estate guy, if you know that you're going to do this going in, the green wall may replace something else expensive. We have a project in Dallas where it's an office building. Normally in an office building, a new office building, it's sort of precast concrete up high and then they do some fancy stone around the bottom. They're doing a green wall around the bottom. Mm. So that's going to improve the cityscape and they're putting up a green wall, which is arguably less expensive than granite. And so you can start make these changes so because everyone can kind of win if you plan. So I think that's part of where, you know, cities have to be thinking about it. And then when they're trying to get renovations and they're trying to get some zoning, they can they can talk to them about that going into it so that people are building that into their cost and hopefully they're doing it away. For instance, if you're renovating a building these can change the entire look and feel of that building or that lobby. And you may not have to rip up 
again, all the stone, all and replace it with all those things. So I think there's a way to do that where everybody can win, but it starts with kind of having a plan. Mm-hmm. And it also means citizens have to say, we want this. Because cities could start this by doing it on their buildings. And so I think it really starts with people saying, look, I, we should have more green. Why don't you do it on your buildings and start to require it? And then Denver did. Denver put in an ordinance. There's got to be green roofs in every building. Mm. It's amazing. So what can we do as individuals to support this? So how can we get our cities to know this is what we want? First thing you can do is just let them know that they should be thinking about this on zoning, new developments, new renovations, that they should be thinking about building that into the requirements if people know up front and a developer knows up front, they can manage that. And so, I mean, to me, that's just getting involved in, in letting your whatever your governance is, aldermen here in Chicago, your city councils, and and starting to, to build consensus that we want to green some of our urban areas and then they can do it. There's no reason. Some cities are. They're doing a lot of that overseas. Yeah, I feel like I'm seeing more and more architectural structures or development projects that have green walls built into them. So that's really exciting to see. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of them just being literally just part of the architecture, mm-hmm. big ones. Yeah. So yeah, it's very, it's very exciting. And then also going beyond architecture, what do you think we need most to accelerate towards a thriving planet? Well, I'm going to say something that's going to sound counterintuitive, but I really believe this. I think part of the problem now is I think that You know, with climate change and environmental challenges, I almost feel like the general consensus has been, well, we just have to scare people to death so that they'll go along. And I actually think it's backfired because I actually think it seems so dire that people are like, okay, well, it's going to happen anyway. I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I just see so much innovation. I just don't think the world's that dire. I think we're moving rapidly to electric cars. I think there's so many things that we can do, but I wish... It was delivered with more hope and less apocalyptic language because if it's the apocalypse, you're like, oh, whatever. Okay, I can't do anything and start getting people to focus on the little things that they can do. More efficient lighting, electric cars. Just stop making it sound like it's just over because I see tons of innovation and I follow it closely, whether it's really interesting carbon capture technology, hydrogen fuel cells. The pro, you know, all this research going into better battery life. And I just think there's a lot of innovation. And I think hope sells a lot better than fear mm-hmm. and start to convince people that if we just all do little things, we can beat this. That would be my advice. I, I think people react a lot more to hope than, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. So why should I care? And that, that to me is where I think That's why people, I think, are tuning out some of the climate change stuff. For sure. But when you lead with things like beautiful living walls, like I want one in my next home or something. So when you lead with the positive, the exciting things, that's what really can draw people in to want to take action and be a part of this. Exactly. You can make the world better and make your environment beautiful. That's a positive step. Right. I mean, I really think people would react more to the things that they can do And if we all do them, it starts to make a big difference because, you know, right now it just seems like they they puts it out as it's hopeless. I don't believe it's hopeless. I see too many good things happening. 
Definitely. Well, your work really inspires all of us, and we're excited to learn more from you. So on this note, what's next for you that we can look forward to and support? Well, you're going to see us come out with some more uh, interesting products where at different price points, I mean, the whole idea for us is to continue to innovate and, and try to create different ways for people to enjoy this. So we're working on a lot of different things. Um, hopefully, it's just the beginning of, of ways that people can incorporate this into their environments at work, at home, apartments, hotels. So uh, that's really what our mission is, is to make it easy to enjoy nature everywhere, inside or outside. Beautiful. And where can we go to follow you and Sage Green Life online and on social media? Go to sagegreenlife.com. You know, I have to tell, I have to ask them for all the other social media handles. I don't have them right up. <laughs> no worries. We'll link to all of this in the show notes. So, yeah. So, we have stuff on, on all the social media, but our website's really good too. That's where we have the most. That's where we have our gallery. That's where we have a, a lot of information about biophilic design, et cetera. As I mentioned earlier, our sponsor for this episode is Buffy, which makes fluffy, eco-friendly comforters with recycled BPA-free plastic bottles as the fluff, and one of my favorite fabrics called Lyocell, made from eucalyptus as the cover. They have over 11,000 reviews of customers agreeing that it's the softest, fluffiest comforter they've ever tried, and I have to say, I just received the sample they sent me recently, and I am officially chiming in to agree with that statement. But that's just for me. Bedding is obviously really personal and Buffy knows that as well. So you can try their comforter in your own home for free uh, for 30 days. And if you don't love it, you can return it. For $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter Green Dreamer as your discount code. Again, that's B-U-F-F-Y dot C-O and discount code Green Dreamer for $20 off. For now, on to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow? I actually do a lot on Flipboard and and The Guardian has really good coverage of environmental issues. So I like those. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? You know, I think when you do these businesses, they're, they're filled with challenges. And so what I try to do every day is start the new day with um, – optimism, you know, that I'm going to accomplish, I'm going to push things forward and not get bogged down with some of the challenges. I think it's easy to get bogged down. So each day is a new day to try to make progress. That's kind of how I look at it. Mm. What's one thing you do for your health, either daily or weekly? I am a extremely disciplined about exercise in the morning. So I do something every day. Mm. I either run, I play tennis or I train it's like my meditation time early in the morning. So I do that every day. And what's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? Well, uh, this whole company. <laughs> it's huge. This, this is all my energy is going into this, basically. Um, but no, we tr- I try to do lots of other things, too. I mean, just simple things like just make sure my house is efficient and uh, the lighting's efficient and... But honestly, this is this this whole business was, you know, at this stage in my career, I want to do things that can be profitable, but that make the world a little bit better. So that's that's kind of what I focus on these days. What makes you most hopeful for a planet at the moment? 
I think it's the innovation. It's stunning. There's so much innovation. I think I think we lose sight of um, and because I'm in the early stage and I, I see a lot of my peers doing things, I just think there's there's tremendous innovation going on. And my biggest thing would be stay hopeful and just watch. It's just brilliant talent all over the world tackling some of these issues. They're big issues. I'm not underestimating them, but I think people are underestimating our ability to innovate and adapt. And uh, I would stay hopeful. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? You don't have to live in a concrete jungle anymore. You can have plants environments in your work environment, in your hotels, in your apartments. Uh, It's not just that the technology is there. It's being rapidly uh, rolled out. So part of that is, you know, most of these businesses have employee surveys. Hotels have surveys. Tell them what you want if they don't have it. That's how you start a movement. Um, my companies have always done employee surveys. What are some things we could have? Put that in your survey that you think you'd want to start to see nature in your space and people will react. So if you want to get out of a concrete jungle, it means if you have the chance, tell them what you want. If you want to see our concrete jungles turn into actual jungles, maybe, Tell people, especially decision makers, what you think whenever you can. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview, as well as links and resources at greendreamer.com 91. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, Our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.